Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. Oh, man, I just got fired up about this one. Um, I mean, listen, I, I've had stuff to talk about on this podcast anyway, but uh, people just posting all kinds of stuff today, May 6th, 2016, about, well, one has to do with, I guess you can call it just pop culture and just, you know, how to handle certain situations with regards to business place and what women should wear and not wear in the business place. Um, Bob Barbara Corcoran of Shark Tank made um, uh, sent out a tweet and people are going just all kinds of stupid over this tweet. And her tweet was a, a hashtag of pull up your skirt. Uh, I'm going to get into that. Um, I'm going to get into obviously the politics and Trump and sure enough, Barack Obama just made a a statement with regards to Trump and, and what to take serious and not to take serious. And and this is not a game. This is not a reality show. I have some comment on that. Um, something else that came up, uh, with regards to his, I guess they have their annual dinner the press dinner and some things that were said there that, you know, this kind of what Obama said today kind of backfires on him. Um, And then there's another issue that came up with um, President Obama and his daughter, which has taken a year off between high school and college. And now this is referred to as gap time and, and what that implies and means. And there's other ways to look at gap time as this isn't just about, how it affects, you know, one person. Uh, there's certain legal implications, and I'm going to give you an update on the law. So I got a lot of stuff to talk about in this. So rather than um, give you all the topics, let's just jump in. You know what? Let me start with the gap time thing. What is being referred to as gap time is now kids that are graduating high school are considering taking that year off between high school and college and – basically use that year for whatever the purpose might be. Now, for somebody like uh, Melania Obama or other wealthy kids, it could be to just, you know, take a year off and go to Europe, um, take a year off and explore different parts of the world. I mean, to me, that is such an upper echelon specific type of kid you're dealing with there. Um, I, I think when you look at it that way, you say, hey, listen, you, you're, you come from privilege, you come from money, you have Secret Service following you around wherever you go, um, go do whatever you have to do. That's fine. Because no matter what, you know, the people that are, are who are the parents of kids that are very wealthy, that year off really won't make a big difference for them. Because either way, their kid is going to be provided for or taken care of. Where it gets a little bit tricky is um, when it doesn't affect people that have money or there's other implications involved in it. The first one that popped into my head as a lawyer was what if you are a child of divorced parents? In the state of New Jersey, emancipation occurs if after high school a child either enrolls in the military, becomes married, um, 
engages in full-time employment or does not continue on to college on a full-time basis. If you just decide after high school, you know what, I need to take a year off, that has implications on whether or not you become emancipated. And the parent paying child support to the other spouse could very easily go to court and say, hey, my kid is not going to college. I don't need to pay child support for that child anymore. And a New Jersey court, I can't speak for other jurisdictions, but a New Jersey court will absolve that parent from paying child support moving forward. I don't know that a court system is going to recognize gap time as an alternative to emancipation. So, you know, while everyone was talking about, well, you know, rich kids can do that, poor kids can't, my, my mind immediately went to law and, you know, taking it as a lawyer and what the potential implications were. And my first reaction is, in terms of divorced parents, and 50% of people in this country that get married get divorced. I don't know what percentage of those people have kids, but there's an immediate implication as to child support. There's also going to be an implication as to the payment of college. Once the child does not go straight from high school to college, that parent could then say whatever's in the divorce agreement with regards to college no longer applies to that parent either. Because then at that point, well, you know what? You're emancipated. You're an adult. I don't have to pay for your college anymore. So now you have to go pay for that yourself. So while a lot of people were just looking at it as, well, you know, rich people can do this and, and whatever, my mind went to right away the legal implications, how it affects most people, and what it could mean for parents and children that come from a divorced family. Now you say, well, one has nothing to do with the other. Well, no, because you know what? The one thing that we see is somebody like, uh, a Melania Obama, or is that her name? I don't even know what the Obama kids name, the one who's graduating. I, I'm getting all confused between Melania Trump and um, the, these kids anyway. Um, but when you start looking at how these people in popular society affect other people and other kids, you know, she's. Um, it's, um, I'm sorry, Malia, Malia, it's not Melania, Malia Obama, my, my apologies. Um, when you, when, you know, you have teenage kids that look up to somebody like Malia or potentially someday, I think the other child's name is Sasha, um, and say, you know what? I want to, I want to follow in their footsteps. I want to take a year off too. Um, that has an impact. I mean, listen, we have teenage girls that are looking up to the Kardashians. Why wouldn't they look to a Malia Obama? And say, hey, I want to take a year off between high school and college. If, if the president's daughter can do it, I can do it. So you can't just look at it and say, well, you know what? That, that doesn't apply to most people. And, and Malia Obama and the Obamas could do whatever they want with their kid. Yes, they can. They absolutely can. What I'm saying is when Malia Obama wants to take a year off and President Obama and Michelle Obama say we support our daughter's decision, that could have an impact on other young people that look at graduating high school and going straight into college, oh, you know what, I don't need to do it. Well, there's certain circumstances where you might be forced to or there's going to be severe financial implications 
based on how your parents go about paying for your school, if they have to pay for your school, child support if your parents are divorced. I, I think there's it's it needs to be it can't just be glossed over. There there is something else there. Um, I happen to believe that that year off. You know, I I, I go both ways on it because I'm going to tell you right now, when I went into college straight out of high school, I, I went to a very competitive high school at the time. It was very um, the, the there was a lot of competition in terms of the curricular and education and getting good grades. Uh, Paramus Catholic Boys High School at the time when I graduated in 87, we were putting kids into military academies, Ivy League schools. Um, I graduated on the National Honor Society, National Language Society. I was in the top 10% of my class. It was super, super competitive. Um, you couldn't fail. If you failed a midterm or a, file or, or a final exam, you failed the class, regardless of what you did all semester. So educationally, we were very, very competitive. And when I went from high school to college, my transition was very easy. Uh, when I got to Fordham University, because you're in that, you know, that groove, so to speak, of studying, putting in times, hitting the books, uh, it was a seamless transition from high school to college because, again, we really worked hard in high school. Like this whole notion of three hours of homework a night is ridiculous. No, I, I came from a school where three hours of homework a night was pretty normal and standard. Um, I fell behind on work. I was working part-time um, at my father's store, putting in 20 hours a week there. Um, you know, so th there definitely was, you know, that that thing going on with work and study and part-time job. And because I was in a groove going into college, I transitioned easy. If I took a year off between high school and college, I don't know that I would have done as well. And the reason I say that is because between college and law school, I took a year off. Um, I didn't get into the law schools of my choosing straight out of college. My LSAT score was not where I wanted to be. And the echelon of schools I was getting into were not to really what I wanted. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to save up, make some money, go into the workforce, retake the LSAT, and then you know go into law school from there. And sure enough, I got into better law schools the second time around, wound up going to New York Law School. That year off, that transition year between college and law school, and you, you have a very different mentality at 18 as you do at 21 after you've graduated college. I, I would like to think I was more mature. Um, so, and and you're, you're kind of fixed in on what it is you want to do a little bit better because going in from high school and college, I was an accounting major at Fordham, and I look back and say to myself, not the greatest of choices for me. Uh, quite honestly, probably not the best choice. I probably could have done something different. Looking back, I don't have regrets because you can't live your life that way. But, you know, it's almost like what they, what's the phrase? You know, the youth is wasted on the young. You know, that year off could be beneficial to decide something, but it's it's not just take a year off and, and, and goof off. I mean, you have to be productive in that year. Because if in that year off you do nothing and then you go to college and you have to transition back into studying, it's going to be tough. Now, I worked the entire year off between college and law school. And when I went back to law school and I still had a part-time job working my way through law school, the transition to getting back and reading, especially law school, there's, there's no educational challenge that I've ever gone through that matches or comes close to law school. 
I mean, you're talking about reading 500 pages a night, which is why, again, I, I look at some of the things that I hear come out of parents' mouth with kids in high school and two and three hours of homework a night is too much. You know what? It, it prepared me ultimately for law school. And I have to tell you, when you're preparing a case the night before for trial, you're working deep into the night. You know, there, there were days I spent and nights I spent in my office when I, I had a solo practice until one, two o'clock in the morning. There are times you're writing appeal briefs, you're working into the wee hours of the night. You know, that, that notion of, you know, two or three hours of homework a night is too much for a kid, along with all of the sports activities. Well, that's part of life and balancing what to do. And it, it does prepare you later on in life because then you prioritize things. Listen, when I have to get a brief done, when I have to get certain cases ready, I don't go to the gym that night. It's that simple. Um, you know, I don't do the social events that night. I work. But that transition year from college to law school was a little bit, again, it was, it was productive in terms of making money. I made some money. I was a bartender. Um, I, I kind of, you know, got into a, a better mindset. I studied. I, paid, I did really well on the LSAT. I got into a law school I wanted to. But that first year back in law school was tough. And I had one of my worst semesters in terms of GPA that I ever had in my life. So, you know, that gap time thing, it's, it's critical. And I think the, the thing that about it is it has to be utilized in a productive way. If your kid is just going to screw off for a year, I, I don't know what the purpose of that is. Um, if it's, you know what, my kid just went through four years of high school and the kid is burnt out. If your kid's burnt out after high school, your kid's not meant for college and things beyond that because it's only going to get more challenging. And if you need a year off after all of these, you know, so then when you go to four years of college, what, what, what does your kid need, two years off? What if your kid goes to medical, medical school? What, what did he need, 10 years off? Ah, you know, I, I got a problem with that. But on the other hand, um, you know, it, it's really hard to tell an 18-year-old kid, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You're going to make a decision now that, over the next four years will affect that. And a lot of people change careers, you know, so picking that major, picking that career at that point is tough. Yeah, it would be nice to have a year off, but it's just, I don't know that it's practical for everyone. And again, while it's not practical for everyone, there's financial implications for kids that come from divorced families. So it's not just as, you know, they, they were almost making a joke about it in the news and, and glossing over it. I thought it was much more important. I would have liked to have seen a lot of the daytime talk shows get into it a little bit more serious than making a joke. I mean, one, one person at daytime talk show said gap time is the time I spent working at the gap, you know, part time. And listen, I, I'm, I'm all for humor and this and that, but it was glossed over as a joke. And well, you know, Malia Obama could do whatever she wants. She comes from privilege and people that come from privilege can do that. Yeah, but you know what? People that come from privilege that do that affect the other kids in our society. And you can't just it, – it can't be a throwaway. Nothing can be a throwaway when you have somebody like that. Um, so I, I, you know, that, I thought the gap time discussion should have been really more important than what it was. Staying with the Obamas, um, I just heard something, and I have to play it. And, God, I, I hope this plays well and is loud enough. But this is – Barack Obama addressing um, what appears to be Donald Trump's running for president. And, 
He's addressing the media and the press with regards to this. Listen to this statement. seriously the statements he's made in the past uh, but most importantly and, and I all right I don't think it's playing loud enough but I, I'm gonna what Obama's saying here is okay he just said I want to emphasize how we're in serious times and this is a really serious job this, this is President Obama's quote okay um, and I'm, I'm going to give you his quotes as he's going along here. This is not entertainment. This is not a reality show. This is a contest for the presidency of the United States. And what that means is every candidate, every nominee needs to be subject to high standards Genuine scrutiny. Okay, it means you have to make sure their budgets add up. If they say they have an answer to a problem, you have to make sure that answer is plausible. They have to have ideas for how it would work. I'm quoting Obama. And if it's completely implausible and would not work, then it has to be reported on. If they take a position on international issues that could create a war or has the potential of affecting critical relationship with other countries or break the financial system, that needs to be reported on. Okay. So basically, Barack Obama, and I just quoted him on all of these things. You could find the the thing. It just wasn't playing loud enough, and I don't want to have you strained to listen to it. Barack Obama just basically said how serious this job is. And it can't be taken lightly. This is not a reality show. This is serious business. Okay. This week, earlier in the week, there was the correspondence dinner in Washington. And every year they have this dinner. And it's a dinner that's usually headlined by a comedian. And the comedian this year was Larry Wilmore, who does the nightly show. Larry Wilmore was a correspondent for The Daily Show. And now he has his own show, which plays after The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Um, and he's a comedian. And he had, I'm sure, several of the jokes written by you know people that worked at The Daily Show and Larry Wilmore show. And you know all different people that have written for his show. And during the show... Larry Wilmore basically turns to Obama and says, how can I keep it real? And to paraphrase him, he says, you did it, my nigga. And he used the N-word in the N-I-G-G-A sense. And again, it's black comedian to black president. And there was some outrage with it. There were some people upset. Now, to me, speaking strictly from a comic stand-up comedian entertainer perspective... With regards to the N-word, it is not a black-white thing. To me, it's very clear. It's a funny versus not funny thing. 
It's an appropriate funny versus inappropriate funny thing. The bottom line with any comedy, any joke whatsoever, I don't care what the nature of the topic is. I don't care what language is used. If it makes people laugh, to me it's acceptable. In that situation, I did not find it to be offensive in the least bit. There's nothing offensive about it. But, but, taking what Obama just said today, how this job is serious, this is not a reality show. This is, you got to call people at them. If you're saying divisive things, if you're saying, you know, basically racist things and things that can create international upheaval, you know, you have to be called out on that. Well, Barack Obama said the use of the N-word in that situation wasn't offensive. And you know what? He had no problem with it. Well, you know, you got to be careful here, Mr. President, because if you're going to hold Donald Trump to a standard of being presidential, and then at a correspondence dinner, you're going to do a mic drop where you hold up a mic, drop it, and go Obama out, in a, you know, almost pop culturist type of reference and do it in a very lighthearted manner. Well, you know what? Now you're picking and choosing your spots as to what, what is it appropriate in a correspondence dinner? So if you say, yes, it's appropriate in a correspondence dinner, that we're just there having fun. Okay, so then... We can take all of Donald Trump's statements that he says when he was on the Howard Stern show and disclaim them as fun. We could take everything he has said and done on The Celebrity Apprentice, which has been thrown back in his face, by the way, as that's theater, that's television. Don't use any of that against him. So now what you're saying is we're going to limit Donald Trump to really the statements he makes as a politician. Well, he's telling everybody, hey, listen, I'm not a politician. I'm a guy running for president. So you, you create a standard in your speech today that didn't apply to you during your correspondence dinner, I'm assuming. As such, should not apply to Donald Trump in his days as an entertainer on Celebrity Apprentice. Shouldn't apply to Donald Trump, certainly when he was a guest on shows like The Howard Stern Show. So in terms of calling somebody like that out, it becomes muddy. You're, there's a lot of blurred lines here. And if you want to talk about calling somebody out, and I really hope this plays, this has to play this clip because it's so important. And by all means, everybody, listen, before you jump all over me as a Trump supporter, my, my position has been very clear. I don't know what his policies are or anything else i am not saying he should be our president i'm not saying that what i'm saying is you got to be careful with what's politics and what trump what, what obama's saying that's politics as a democrat and what should apply across the board to everybody because here's hillary clinton this week with regards to coal miners and the coal industry Because we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business, right, Tim? And we're going to make it clear that we don't want to forget those people. 
very clear. We are going to put a lot of coal, mire, coal miners and a lot of coal industry out of business. And then she looked at somebody and went, right, Tim? That's a direct statement. That's a direct statement with regards to coal miners and the coal business. Not two days later, here's Hillary Clinton addressing a local coal miner. What I said, this is Hillary Clinton's quote. What I said was out of context with what I meant. I want you to think about this. She's not saying I was misquoted. She is saying what I said was out of context with what I meant. I don't even know what the hell that means. How can you say something and then defend it by saying it was out of context with what I mean? I am not Catholic. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And then the next day someone says to you, you said you weren't Catholic. You were you didn't believe in Jesus Christ. You know what? That's out of context with what I really mean, which is, you know what? I don't go to church, but I think if we change the way church is, I would be more into Jesus. What? No, no. You can't say what you said is out of context with what you mean. The only context you give your speech is what you mean. So you know what? When we talk about Donald Trump saying things that are divisive and you know, he's a racist and he's this and he's that. Can someone please at least acknowledge the fact that Hillary Clinton is a liar? Plain and simple. She is a liar. And I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of people not acknowledging both sides. Because listen, I'll acknowledge. I'm acknowledging now. I don't know what the hell Trump's policies are. I don't know what his plans are. He just keeps saying the same thing. We have wonderful people. This is going to be fantastic. We're tired of losing. Aren't you tired of losing? I guarantee. I guarantee we're not going to lose anymore. Believe me. Believe me. And people go, there you go. There's the answer. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. He's not answering anything. He's just saying, this is going to be fantastic. We're going to start winning again. Aren't you tired of losing? I'm tired of losing. We're going to win. We need to start winning. We've been losing. We need to start winning. No, that's, that's not a policy. That doesn't tell me anything. You're not being presidential and telling me, here's my plan. And to say, I can't give you my, we're not going to give away the plan. We're going to wait because you know what? We can't tell you everything. There's certain things I can't tell. No. When it comes to giving me a plan about the economy, you have to give me the plan. So I will, I will destroy Trump on that. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you right now, Hillary Clinton is a liar. She is a flat-out liar. And if you are on one side, whether you're on the Trump side, 
and you refuse to acknowledge that he has absolutely nothing laid out for the future of our government, if you refuse to acknowledge that, then you are blinded by the fact that you either hate Hillary Clinton or you're a staunch Republican. If you're on the Hillary Clinton side and you refuse to acknowledge that she will say whatever is necessary in front of the crowd she's in front of to get their votes, then you are as bad as the Trump supporters. Knock it off. Stop it. And I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this double standard. This goes for, you know what? And it goes for the media too. Chris Matthews, I don't know if you guys know who Chris Matthews is. He interviewed Donald Trump recently on on CNN, I think it was. And he cornered Trump into, he he boxed him into a corner with regards to an issue as to abortion. And, And Chris Matthews is the guy who always yells at you and he's always... You know, Donald Trump, what do you think? If it is abortion a crime, then should the wife be punished? Should the mother be punished? Answer the question, yes or no. And Donald Trump was like, well, listen, if it's crime, Mr. Trump, answer the question. Don't dodge the question. And he's like, well, listen, if you're telling me it's a crime. Okay, Donald Trump is on the record. If the mother gives an abortion, then she should be murdered too. You just heard it here. You know, Chris Matthews talks over you. He yells and screams at you. And that's his big thing. You know, this is Chris Matthews on Hardball. And I'm going to ask you a question. Mr. Trump, what's your plan for Al-Qaeda and ISIS? Well, we need to get rid of There you go. Donald Trump is going to blow up the world. This is Chris Matthews, okay? Jumps all over people. Barely lets him get a thought out. Well, guess what, Chris Matthews? Your microphone was on recently when Donald Trump destroyed everybody in Indiana. And as he's walking out into the conference room to give his speech, there's Melania and there's Chris Matthews. Boy, I could watch her walk all day. Look at her. She looks like she's on a runway. Isn't she gorgeous? I could watch this all day. You creeper. You got completely busted with an open mic. Now, I want to see you, Chris Matthews, defend that statement. Because you know what? You're going to be the guy who goes after Donald Trump is sexist. He says all kinds of things. His international policy includes basically running the Miss Universe concert contest. That's all he knows about international policy and women. Well, you know what, Mr. Chris Matthews? Now you're going to have to face the music. And I hope somebody calls him out on this. I really do. I hope people start calling out these media people when they get caught in a situation. Because he should be called out for the creeper he was. And you know what? Knowing your mic is on or not on. And whether it's on or not on, be appropriate if you're going to call out people every other second. I hope his CNN bosses call him out and say, Chris, what the hell are you saying, man? What's the matter with you? Now, do I think he should be fired for that? No. Do I think he should be chastised for that? No. But I hope other people in the media jump on him the way we jump on Trump for his sexist comments. Oh, I can't stand this unequal field crap when it comes to that. And speaking of sexist comment, perfect segue, perfect segue into a story story I I saw today with regards to Barbara Corcoran, who put up this tweet that to me was so benign. Oh, my God. This was so ridiculous. And people, it's, it's actually front page news. Barbara Corcoran is the Shark Tank star and entrepreneur, and she put out a tweet that said, quote, I find running a hashtag business in a man's world to be a huge advantage. I wear bright colors, yank up my skirt, plus get attention. And oh, my God, the women's groups just went crazy. 
What do you mean you're yanking up your skirt? What are you talking about? And sure enough, she was interviewed on Good Morning America. And the, the, the correspondent Good Morning America said, listen, I've known you for 10 years. I'm going to give you a chance to clarify this thing. What do you mean by that? And she said, I'm telling you right now what I mean by it. One of my better assets is my legs. I've got great legs. I was never that attractive facially. I never had the greatest body. I have great legs. So you know what? When I had to walk into a boardroom, if I had to do something to stand out, yeah, I would wear a shorter skirt, show off my legs, and walk in there because if it brought me attention, if people noticed me or remembered me as the woman with great legs, hey, sometimes that could be the difference between them remembering you and not remembering you. And oh my God, the women's groups went crazy. Women's groups went crazy. They started going off on this thing and they started saying, oh, my God, how can you say that? You know, I would hope I would hope that we would be known for something much more than that. I would hope that we would be known for our brains and this. Well, listen, first of all, stop with being so naive. Please stop with being naive. okay? because as far as fashion goes, all we see on television, red carpet, this red carpet, that. There's a friggin' music award show, it seems like, every other week. And all we do is show the people walking in. We just had the Met Gala in New York, okay? And how do people go to the museum, the Met Gala? Oh, my God. The most outlandish of outfits. And I compared the Met Gala to Easter Sunday, which is people wearing outlandish outfits to a building that is containing all kinds of things they know absolutely nothing about. That's what Easter Sunday is. That's what the Met Gala is. And, you know, fashion, look, this, this weekend we got the Kentucky Derby and everybody's going to be wearing big giant hats. It's all about the outfit. All of, do not tell me fashion is not an integral part of our society. And what she's saying, hey, listen, dress the part. And if you have an asset, show it off. She's not saying be promiscuous. She's not saying sleep your way to the top. She's saying if you have a great body or a great physical attribute, Use it. And let me tell you something, ladies. This applies to men as well. Take whatever rapper you want that walks around, pants down normally in videos, underwear showing. When he's got to go to a business meeting, see what he's wearing. See if he's going there with the chains and the sunglasses and the hat sideways and this and Or see if his agent or representative doesn't look at him and say, hey, dress the part. Dress the part. I'd love to see what Kanye wears to a, a business meeting. I'd love to see what Kim Kardashian wears to a business meeting. What does Lady Gaga wear to a business meeting? I bet they dress the part. And there's nothing wrong with dressing the part. Listen, it applies to men too. When people does their 50 sexiest men alive, I don't see Louis C.K. on the cover. Okay, and women love a guy with a sense of humor. Well, Louis C.K.'s got one of the best senses of humor. How come he's not the 50th, the top guy on 50th, you know, most beautiful men in the world? No, it's usually a guy like, you know, Brad Pitt or the guy who plays Thor in, in, the, in the comic book movies or whatever it is. It's usually a really handsome guy, and, and they're there in a shirt showing their pecs and everything else. So it applies to everybody across the board. Please don't make this such a sexist thing. And don't be so outraged because I hate fake outrage. And there's nothing wrong with what she said. Fashion is a part of our society, especially in the business world. Especially in the business world. Come on. Listen, one of my friends went on 
the news this morning, Stephanie Carton, she runs this business called Social Fly, and she was asked about it. She said, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are people that, you know, maybe you wear, you're the girl who wears the big red hat to business meetings, and you, that's the thing you remember. Listen, if five equally qualified people walk into a room, they've all graduated Harvard. They've all graduated with top honors. They have the same GPA. How are you going to pick one over the other? Based on that, then you know what? Don't meet them. Don't meet them and just look. What's the next thing you're going to look at? You're going to look at their appearance. Don't tell me you're not going to look at their appearance. And you're going to see the way they present themselves to you. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean who is more attractive and who isn't more attractive. Sometimes that means, you know what? This This person came to my interview dressed in a business suit, polished. Looking serious, ready to do business. Depending on the type of business you're doing, depending on the job that person is interviewing for, do not tell me that's not going to be the difference. Now, we saw in the movie The Pursuit of Happiness, the Will Smith character, and I, I forget the person who he played in real life, winds up at a business meeting and he was literally came out of jail. And he was in jeans, with paint on his jeans, and he had a tank top and he walked in there and they said to him, you know, what would you expect us to say if someone came into an interview and basically didn't have a shirt on and Will Smith and the character made a joke, I, boy, he must've had really good pants on. And they all laughed at it. And he said, listen, I, I wound up spending a night in jail because I had a ticket. And, and they said, next time you come to work, you're going to have a suit on, right? Absolutely, sir. I mean, you can't just assume that people can wear whatever they want and you could, you know, just, you know what, what I wear is my artistic expression and it's, it's the way I express myself and I'm not going to be a conformist. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Because you know what? There, I don't know of any rule, any actual rule in the New Jersey court rules that says anybody has to wear a suit to court. I don't know that there's actually a rule. And you know what? I'm going to look into it. I don't know that there's something that says a man has to wear a suit and tie to the courtroom to argue a case. Now, we all do. We all go dressed professionally. Now, let me ask you something, listener. Your lawyer is going to go with you to court. Your lawyer shows up wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Are you going to feel comfortable with that? Are you going to say, my lawyer went to Harvard. My lawyer graduated tops in his class. My lawyer is one of the smartest people. He can recite the entire legal law book to me. I don't care what he wears. Or do you want your lawyer to dress appropriately in a suit? Think about it. Now, what she's saying is, and you may be saying, well, Vin, you're, you're taking extremes there. You're saying that, you know, a suit versus sweatpants. She's trying to make it more sexual. Listen, What I'm telling you is this, if you have an asset, okay, if I was, listen, if I was a good looking guy with perfect hair and and a perfect body, bet your ass I would, I would do everything to flaunt it, to use it to my advantage in entertainment, in comedy, in acting, in the business world. Absolutely. Because you know what? It's an asset at your disposal because the first thing people see is visual it's what you look like absolutely positively no doubt about it and barbara cochran is catching heat for something that i consider to be absolute bs 
This is, again, people getting mad and outraged over nothing. Knock it off. Knock it off. I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. Again, this is, you know, this is one of those things where I, I, I can't believe that people get upset over some of this stuff. I have to assume it's fake outrage. I really do. Because I don't understand why someone would get so upset over the fact that she's saying, listen, if you got great legs, wear a short skirt. What's the difference? Show them off. When I watch Fox News, all I see is above the knee, legs showing high heels. Okay? And listen, even when I watch the other, CNN, same thing. What do you, what do you see over there? Perfect hair, makeup, guys as well. Guys as well in full makeup. And even the people that apparently don't care. Rachel Maydow. She doesn't care. Bull crap. She's in hair and makeup before she goes on set. And don't think her haircut and the glasses and everything wasn't picked out for her. Don't think all of her clothes aren't picked out to suit her personality. Don't think she just rolls out of bed and says, I'm going to wear this. You know what? No, I don't need a fashion person. I don't need a stylist. They all have stylists. And there's nothing wrong with that. I told you I was pumped up over this one. I was really pumped up. Oh, by the way, I got to say this to you. In one of the recent podcasts, I talked about how New Jersey had a different law than the United States Constitution when it came to a police officer. Guess what? The appellate division ruled on May 5th yesterday in state versus Sutherland in the state of New Jersey that a reasonable Good faith mistake of law by a police officer can serve as a justification for a motor vehicle stop. This holding is in conformity with the United States Supreme Court decision I told about in Hine versus North Carolina, Citation 135, Supreme Court 530, 2014. This overrules a contrary holding from a different appellate division hearing in State versus Puzio, which is found at 379 NJ Super, 378 Appellate Division Case 2005. So basically now New Jersey, which I gave such credit for being progressive and ahead and saying, you know what, no, a police officer cannot make a mistake when they pull you over. He's got to abide by the law. Well, guess what, New Jersey, we are now in the same stupid decision as the Supreme Court, and if a police officer makes a reasonable, good-faith mistake of law, he can justify stopping you. Well, kick me in the ass. Terrible decision, appellate division in New Jersey. Just when I had hope for us, we blew it. Everybody, thank you for listening.